Since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, our theme verse for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues the series, Sufficiency in Christ. Today's episode, Persistence. Praying through scripture has been a common practice for Christians throughout church history. For this week's spiritual practice, use 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 and 9 to pray for the Lord's strength and hope. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Sufficiency in Christ series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now, Pastor Perry Duggar. How many of you need a miracle? I want to see some hands. How many of you need a miracle? Do you believe God for it? Then stand up. Let's ask him. Somebody check on her. Father, we need a miracle. In fact, we need a room full of miracles. And Lord, we believe you, but help our unbelief. Lord, you said it only requires faith like a mustard seed, and we can bring you a mustard seed. But God, by your Spirit, you have to act. Father, act in a way that none of us can take credit for. Father, act in a way that only you are glorified. But Lord, we've got some red seas that need parting. We've got some illness that needs healing. We've got some broken relationships that need to be mended, and only you can do it, God. But we believe. And so, God, we ask you now to step in and make a difference. In Christ's name, amen. We continue our series, Sufficiency in Christ. And the title to today's message is Persistence. The theme verse is the first verse in chapter 4, which we'll be dealing with chapter 4 today. And part of that verse says, Since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. Are you persistent? Are you persistent? What does persistence mean? Well, definition is that it's a determination to continue what we are doing or what we've started. A similar word is tenacity. I like that word, tenacity. Are you tenacious? Are you determined to continue the calling that God has given you to live your faith, to tell your faith story, to parent courageously? At no time in my lifetime has the need for parents to have courage as much as now. To improve your marriage, 
to refuse dishonesty in your business. All of these things require persistence in the face of difficulties. So let's gain encouragement this morning from Paul's persistence in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. In this Bible available here, it starts on page 931. We never give up because we are entrusted with the gospel. In the previous section, Paul focused on the glory of the new covenant, especially when compared with the old covenant. And that's why verse 1 begins with the word, therefore. In other words, after what I've just said, therefore, since God in his mercy, what does mercy mean? Who's saying? Who's talking? That's not mercy. That is grace. Mercy is. See that there, those words are almost opposites. Mercy is getting, is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. See, we earn, we earn judgment. Mercy is God doesn't give us what we've earned. Grace is he gives us what we haven't earned. See, they're almost going opposite directions, but they're close in meaning. I mean, they deal with the same issues. And so since God in his mercy has given us this new way, what's the new way? Who said it? Love your neighbor. That's sort of. But based on last week, the new way is what? No. The new way is? No. Well, y'all, hey, who was here last week? The new way is? The new covenant. Was, was that an out-of-body experience for you last week? The new way, and all that y'all said, goes in the basket, yes. But quite simply, the new way is the... Oh, the new covenant. Oh, thank you. And what the new covenant means is that the Spirit provides eternal life. The Spirit grants righteousness by grace. And because of that, we never give up. Now, give up is translated from a Greek word. And when I say these Greek words, you don't ever have to memorize them. But I want you to understand that there are shadings of meanings in the Greek that maybe aren't fully grasped in the English. No two languages can be translated word for word perfectly. So the Greek word that's translated give up, akedio, means to lose one's motivation, to become discouraged, to lose heart, 
to experience inner weariness or to give into fear. So Paul persisted despite many hardships, physical abuse, and cruel criticism that came through attacks by false apostles. He didn't surrender or stop because he knew that God had a plan that involved him and God would prevail. Now, Paul was scrupulous. You like that word? You know what that word means? Doesn't mean tenacious. Detailed is a good one. Paul was scrupulous, careful, thoroughly scriptural in the way he explained the gospel in both its content and his attitude in delivering it. Verse 2, he continued, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. Now, he's talking about in sharing the gospel. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. Dulu is the Greek. Dulu-o, dulu-o. And it means ensnare, adulterate, or handle deceitfully. Now, those are strange words attributed to communicating the gospel, aren't they? Are they? Well, we got to figure out why are they here for? Why did he say this? Because there's a way to communicate the gospel that can be deceitful that can be used to trick or ensnare. We don't think that, do we? And he continued, we tell the truth before God because God is listening. And all who are honest know this. Now he sent this letter to the church in Corinth. So he was writing to the Corinthian congregation also these false prophets or teachers, false apostles or teachers. See, he's already told us in chapter 2 that the false apostles preached for financial gain and personal popularity. So if you're trying to get become popular and if you want those people to then give to you, You'll be careful not to what? Not to offend. Not to offend anyone. Because they're trying to develop a following among people. These same people, they want to look favorably on them so that they'll then support them financially. But what these people did is is they were distorting God's word 
in an unusual way. By mixing grace with law, which made the gospel more acceptable to Jewish people. See, we think the law is not acceptable to anyone, right? We think, oh, that, the law, who would, who would care about the law? Well, you would care about the law if you grew up being taught this was the way to God. And so the Jews were shocked by the ease of the gospel. And in other letters, they accused Paul of being licentious, throwing off the law. And he never did it. But if you're used to saying, this is the way to go, this is the way to worship God, this is the way to reach God, then the idea that Christ died for your sins and the law was now fulfilled for you, that sounds offensive, doesn't it? And our culture, have you noticed, it's becoming offensive to say that the gospel requires us to live morally. Have you noticed that? Oh, that's so offensive. That's so intolerant. Let me tell you this. God's not that tolerant. But his son died for those sins. And so these teachers were dishonoring God and his word by misteaching it in the process, by making it more palatable to the culture. Now, today, we don't make it more palatable by adding law, although in some areas, it, it may be that we stick in some rules because the people want more rules. You remember, I mean, when I started here 28 years ago, the fact that I dressed like this and I had Joe Weehunt playing all kinds of instruments. They said, don't drink the Kool-Aid over there. There's got to be something wrong with, with that because people enjoy it too much. Because anytime you step away from what people are used to, somebody's going to, going to accuse. But we have to be careful that we can make the, the gospel approachable without compromising the gospel. Verse 3. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. See, they were saying, Paul makes it confusing. Because, see, saying Christ died for your sins and after you've been told you have to do all these minute practices to satisfy God, well, that's confusing. But Paul's saying, well, the people are confused are perishing. That's why they're confused. Don't you remember when you were born again and suddenly things became clear? Despite his adversary's accusation, Paul preached the gospel plainly. So who was confusing these people? Say it again. Satan. Satan. And he says that in verse 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. 
Folks, Satan's always at work. Do you realize that? Do you discern him trying to coax you in the wrong direction? Satan's always at work. And he's always at work distracting people away from the true gospel, the gospel that Paul taught, how? Scrupulously. Yes, hang on to that word. That's a good word. Careful, thorough, exacting, detailed. Well, look what's going on today. Our culture is being divided so many directions. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. And there was some division in the culture over Vietnam, things like that. Not to the degree today. Today, the separation are there's so many slices of separation. Not only political, but social, medical, racial. People are mad whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. They're mad if you take the vaccine or you, you don't take the vaccine. They're just mad. Have you noticed that? Just mad. That's Satan. Because it's the gospel, and I talked through Acts so we would see that Christ's gospel brought disparate people, different people into unity over the gospel. The Jews and the Gentiles, people of different races, people of different cultural backgrounds, people of different economic backgrounds, were all brought together at the cross. But it's only the cross that unifies us. And let me say this. Some of y'all need to spend more time in the Bible than on social media. I mean, I don't know how this, this uh, the liberal view or the conservative view, just call it what you want. I don't care. Well, mine's more righteous. Well, God believes this. God believes that. Well, God says in his Bible what he believes. Some of you are smoking something. God says what he believes, and we better be careful linking God's name to our political convictions or our opinions about anything, medicine, mass, vaccines, uh-uh, Christ. Because you know what? In Christ, every one of us can find unity. But on all these issues, this gathering right here is divided a hundred different ways. It's Christ. Satan loves this division, loves us squabbling with each other. And you know what it does? It blunts our witness in the community, and it divides up fellowship even within these walls. I'm asking you, leave it outside. I'm not telling you don't have any convictions or beliefs. I'm just saying don't bring them in here. Verse 4, the latter part, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now see, Christ irritated them, right? Because they believed that they knew God and knew how to access 
And this Jesus business was just in the way. They even thought it was dishonoring of God. The Jews accepted God, they thought, and rejected Jesus. And Jesus said, the Father and I are one. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then in verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching ourselves. And what that means is I'm not preaching my convictions about all this myriad of issues. Because this isn't the place for it. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Christ's sake. The false apostles, they promoted themselves. They elevated their prestige. They even stuck in some elements of mystery in the gospel. Some higher wisdom was necessary. Some deeper truths that required some greater spiritual insight to understand. Which caused, would cause the Corinthians to keep consulting them to discern truth. When anybody, including me, ever infers you have to come to me to get a spiritual answer, you run away. You run away. I am never more than a servant who's called to serve you as I serve God. Paul knew he was merely a servant sent to spread Good news. You know, y'all have heard me say this before, but it's puzzling to me in this day when we have all these celebrity pastors. How does a pastor get to be a celebrity? That is foolish, isn't it? When a, a pastor is nothing more than a servant. If you get the right hair and the right pants and they're tight enough and all, you get to be a celebrity. Y'all think I'm cut out to be a celebrity? <laughs> Y'all are laughing at me. <laughs> Y'all are hurting my dignity. I thought I was cut out to be somebody. Paul knew he was merely a servant. And that was a great calling. His purpose was to win converts to Jesus, not followers for himself. So Paul persisted. And that's why I tell y'all, if I say something and you don't think it's right, you look in the scripture. You are not bound to follow me. You are bound to follow God. And I might misstate something sometimes. Verse 6, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness, that's Genesis 3.1, has made this light shine in our hearts. Who made the light shine? Well, didn't Paul? So we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul knew he didn't save people. 
Paul knew who did the saving. God alone. Because God alone can illuminate people's understanding so that they can know. You remember when you came to know? Do you remember? It wasn't likely the first time you've heard the gospel. It may have been the 1,001 time. It may have been the 10,000 and first time. Because it was the time when it went from information on a page, which was true, it was true, to where it was truth in you. You remember that, don't you? Yeah, you. You grew up going to church. You knew a lot of things. But something happened one day where it went from here to where it just captured your whole person. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. No person, including me, I I might be pretty persuasive. I went to law school, you know. I can argue. My fifth grade teacher said to me, you're so argumentative, you want to go to law school. I thought it was a compliment. I went to law school. I called her up after I passed the bar. She remembered me. Again, I thought that that memorable meant something positive. Only God enables us to know truth, which is why you can never walk away from it because it is burnt into you. It can't be denied, can it? Carla, these two girls, they don't belong to y'all, do you, do they? Can I talk you out of that? When we know stuff, we can't be talking, we can't be talked out of it. We can't be convinced. Because that truth is now written on our hearts, on our minds, in our souls. But I can't do that to you. Only God can. Which is why he's saying these other guys are using tricks and probably emotional motivation and all these arguments and this deceit. And Paul said, I don't have any of those tricks. All I have is to tell the good news of Jesus. As your servant. And when God illuminates our minds. It's not just something we know. It's something we experience. And with that knowledge. You get part of the glory of God. That starts reflecting out of you. That's what being born again is. When you're born again. The glory of God is planted in you. And it grows. Well, you, how do you see yourself? Are you a servant of God and other people? Determined to share good news. Thoughtfully, carefully, thoroughly. What was that other word? Scrupulously and prayerfully. You say, well, you're saying God does all the saving. Oh, yeah, but you have an essential calling. You have a role in this. Even after hearing what Paul said, Paul knew he had a calling. Look at uh, Romans. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? 
And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone like you and me tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Have you been sent? Who in here thinks they've been sent? That all? No wonder we're not doing better. Have you been, who's been sent? I want to see. How have you been sent? You've been sent generally by the Great Commission. But if you're willing, you'll be sent specifically by the Spirit of God to a particular person. Can you save them? No. But is your message essential to their salvation? Absolutely. Absolutely. We never give up because we're empowered by God. Verse 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars, common pots, human frailty. You know those, those orange pots? What are they made of? What? They told me this morning it was terracotta. I just wanted to set y'all up with this. Because it sounds good to say, oh, I got a terracotta pot. No, you got a pot that's made out of mud. And so we're fragile clay pots. Common pots. But we contain a great treasure. The knowledge of God's glory. The ability to proclaim this to the world. That's a treasure. Not only that we possess it, but we can pass it out and proclaim it. And this makes it clear that our great power to save is from God, not ourselves. Because we're clay pots. Our humble lives and our words are not able to convince people about the priceless gospel of eternal salvation. See, that's not our calling to convince. Our calling is to share. Our calling is to tell our stories. The convincing comes from whom? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God convinces. So we're essential, but God's power is necessary. Verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but not destroyed. Anybody see Paul say anything in that passage negative about what had happened to him? Who said no? You need to come up here with me. Yes. Knocked down, perplexed. (laughs) I don't know about your Bibles. I think you got yours on sale. 
I see a whole lot of negative things, he says. He says, we're pressed on every side by troubles. We're perplexed. We're hunted down. We get knocked down. That sound negative to anybody? Yes. See, here's the thing. This theology that says you deny the negative that's happening is not biblical. You own it and you don't let it dominate you. You see the difference? I know that's the point you were trying to make. He wasn't defeated by it. But he knew it was happening, see. He knew it was happening. We're not deluded about suffering. You don't know anything about that, do you, Faith? We don't have to deny our suffering. We own our suffering, but we say, but this isn't the end of me because of Christ in me. We get knocked down. Some of you have been knocked down today, but you are not destroyed. You are not destroyed. Paul was enabled by God's power to persist despite many, many difficulties. And he said, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. See, these false apostles, they pointed at Paul and they said, well, he's suffering because he's got some secret sin and God's punishing him. But Paul's suffering was confirmation of his faith. And the scripture says, if you... If you or live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. But see, Paul's suffering was persecution for his faith because of his identification with Jesus. See, see, sometimes your suffering is confirmation of your faith, not of God's displeasure. His willingness to suffer and his ability to suffer and yet to persist in spreading the message that caused the suffering gave strong support to the truth of the gospel. Yes, we live under constant danger of death, he said, because we serve Jesus. So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Paul's courageous, faithful, patient endurance of suffering displayed the power of God in his life. And it explained the impact of his ministry. You see what he's saying? The most convincing part of his preaching wasn't all the Bible verses he knew. It was his ability to suffer for the sake of the people and the sake of Christ. Strengthened only by the gospel. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. Paul faced death so he could offer life eternal to the Corinthians. He was willing to die physically so they could live spiritually. Now, I want you to think seriously about this question. Are you willing to suffer so others can have eternal life? Are you willing to suffer? Because it might require it. 
If our culture grows ever more hostile to the gospel, the true gospel message, the culture doesn't mind a little religious behavior. But the true gospel message, are you willing to suffer? What about die? What about be imprisoned? You willing? Anybody willing? Okay, then if you're willing to die or to suffer, are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to be renounced? Are you willing to be rejected? Are you willing to become unpopular? Because it might cost you that. See, with Paul, Paul only had one life. He identified with Christ. There wasn't any other part of him. I wonder how many of us have too many personalities we're trying to accommodate different segments with. And so we avoid that rejection because we don't, they don't know we're Christian. Or are we the same everywhere all the time? You know, I've told you before that the way we live in this community, we help each other, right? If I plant a seed and somebody else comes in and they water it, I was getting my hair done. I got to improve this clay pot. So I was getting my hair cut. And this lady's talking about, you know, I love this woman. I've talked to her about God, talked to her about church. She's, she had a loss in her family. And she said, I talked to another family. And they said, you could see their church from the highway. And I said, I named you. And they said, that's where we are. And these people talked to her about the gospel and about a way that she could get some encouragement. And so, if everybody identifies with Christ, we we help each other, you see. But, but we may not be popular another way, you know. I mean, this woman, and I, I love this dear woman, but so I'm in there. I'm getting ready for my, you know, my haberdashery or what? It, I don't know what that's the right word, but my coiffure. I got to get a new coiffure. And this woman comes in yelling in the, in the barbershop. And this woman comes in and says, I saw your car in the parking lot. And my, my lady that cuts my hair, she looked at me. She said, she was thinking, she said, Pastor Doug has got somebody tracking him down. <laughs> and so this woman comes in and she's talking. She said, I saw you in there. I'm coming in here. And, this, and, and I said, well, this is my wife. And this woman looks at her. And then she looks at me. She said, I thought she was your daughter. But I know I'm a clay pot already. So that didn't upset me any. Because here you go. If a clay pot can marry that, what you, you do? But my point here, there is a spiritual point is if we're just not all caught up in these pots and we really care about letting the glory of God show out of our lives. God can do a lot to bring himself glory. 
We never give up because we're experiencing renewal. Verse 13. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. That English from Psalm 116.10, I don't think that quite captures it. I like, uh, you know, one of our friends in Bible study has the Amplified, and sometimes it really says extra words, and it's really good at giving you the shadings. I think this is really saying more. I believed in God, so I was compelled to speak. So I could not not speak. Are you compelled to speak? Does your belief drive your life? Paul's faith compelled him to speak. And verse 14. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. See, the promise of resurrection provided Paul's fearless persistence to preach the gospel. And all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. See, Paul suffered willingly, selflessly, knowing that his hardship enabled more people to hear the gospel and be saved. And that it would result in a greater number of people to give glory to God. And he thought that his suffering was worth it. Even his death was worth it. And that is why we never give up. Though our bodies, these earthen vessels, mud pots. You understand that? Some of y'all look better than some of us as pots. But we're all mud pots. Are dying. From aging. Also from the hardship of persecution. But our spirits are being renewed every day. Let me tell you this. Sometimes that pot is in the way of God's glory. You're paying too much attention to that pot. And you might be obscuring the glory of God in doing so. Our spirits are being renewed and the spirit will continue to renew, to strengthen, to transform us into the image of Christ. See, when we're born again, and that's called justification, we began to be sanctified. But sanctification, remember what I told you a few weeks ago, has a little bit of glory in it. So as you're sanctified, you're becoming more glorious. As we grow in the knowledge of God and prepare for his return. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. You know what? Some of us are in hardship right now. But our hardships are temporary. You know what? I got to 63 real fast. Wayne, how'd you feel inside? You feel 50? I feel about 30. I don't think I look 30, but I feel about 30. 
It got here fast, didn't it? Hardships are temporary. Life is short. But our suffering for Christ produces eternal rewards that we will enjoy forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Can you live and serve and give and spread good news with eternity in sight? That ought to be our first focus of our entire lives. Ask God to show you how you can use your life to glorify Him. Care counselors will be here. You say, you know, I don't, I don't understand all that. Someone will come and talk to you, pray for you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. Let me urge you to, to consider being part of baptism today. We're a church family, and today we have a celebration as some new people are offering their public profession that they've joined the family of God here at Brookwood. So I urge you, if you can, please come at 6.30. The, the baptism ceremony won't last a long time. And then we have food trucks, so it's just a time to fellowship and just to share God's work and bask in His glory. Father, we thank You that You have put treasure in mud pots. But Lord, help us to be sure that we glory in the treasure and not in the pot. And Lord, help us to focus our lives on spreading good news so your name will be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.